0: morning, church. I'm going to try to steal one of these. I promise I'll forget to bring this back, Ben. And Ben said um, he issued the challenge, if anybody could out-sweat him. And I will just tell you, my friend, challenge accepted. <laughs> we will see what happens. But as I, as I was sitting back there and I was reminded of and, uh, experiencing the heat here, I was taken back about 10 years ago when we went on a missions trip to Mexico City. And when I got on the plane, I had uh, all of my materials ready for a week, of vacation Bible school for uh, the children there in Mexico City. And when I got there, they said, this is too heavy. You can't take this on the plane with you. So my circumstances immediately changed. Now I had to abandon all of our uh, curriculum for the week and I knew I was going into a week where I was going to be leading uh, a, a group of uh, 20 teenagers from one church and 20 from another church. And now I had, uh, I had no knowledge of the language, and now I also had no curriculum. And then when we got there, they said, oh, the, government's going to, the local government's going to need the church that you were going to use. So you're going to have to go out in the street, and you're going to have to do your program out there. Okay, and it was about 110 degrees uh, when we got there, and so we had no curriculum, and the kids were just looking at me saying, well, what do we do? And we had to just go old school. I said, well, we're going to have to do what the Bible would tell us to do, love the people, be led by the Spirit, and we're just going to see what happens. So we got out there, and uh, also they said, oh, you were supposed to have four hours, you know, in this air-conditioned church. It's going to be six hours, and it's going to be on the street. And uh, that changed everything dramatically. And we got out there, and I said, well, we're just going to love on them, and we're going to share the gospel with them. And I, I had one person sit up and said, I can do crafts. I'm really good at crafts. And another person said, I brought my guitar. Another kid said, I brought my guitar. I can lead some songs. And I'll have you know, we got out there, and for that whole week, with no curriculum... And no instruction, a language barrier, and no air conditioning, we shared the gospel with those kids. I had one adult leader who came up to me, and he said, and I'm just feeling dizzy, I'm feeling sick. And I said, that's heat stroke, you need to, you need to go hydrate, you need to go get yourself away from the kids. And then I looked over, and he's still loving on this kid, looking like he's going to puke. And I went over, and I said, I said, John, I am not asking you, I am telling you to go hydrate. And that grown man left that child, and he was crying over in the corner as he was trying to hydrate himself. Because he didn't want to walk away from that opportunity. When we first got there, I had some of the girls in the group, and they had, you know, their long hair, and they encouraged them to put it up, and, and they, my interpreter said, Now, most of these kids that you're going to encounter are going to have lice. There's a really good chance that you're going to walk away this week with head lice. And that will wake up an American real quick. And some of the girls got head lice. But every single one of those girls was embracing those little children as we were sharing the gospel with them. And I'm reminded today as we sweat that sometimes it's good for the church to get a little uncomfortable. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has done some of uh, its biggest work in my life when I was the most uncomfortable. So you're going to see me sweat today, and I'm going to see you sweat today, and I'm giving you permission to sweat. It's okay. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay if we sweat together. It's not that big of a deal, all right? So moving on to, uh, to today, if you've been following me on social media at all, you know that me and my girls have been uh, working with Legos quite a bit And I'm so thrilled because now my girls are at an age where they're starting to pull away from me a little bit. And I'm at that, come back to me stage. Be with me. Don't go have other friends in life. Stay with your your papa. And that's something that we can do together. We don't fight, mostly. Uh, We work together as a team. I'm able to put on some music and we just work with those Legos for hours. But your experience with Legos may be a little bit different. Uh, you ever step on a Lego? Oh, my gosh. And then you just hate Legos, right? Well, I've stepped on lots of Legos in my life. Um, I remember the first experience our children have with Legos. My wife, who is not a Lego person, and I promise I redeem my wife and speak well of her later, so you're going to really think poorly of me here for a moment. Uh, they, the girls got some Lego sets, and if you've ever received a Lego set, they usually come in like little bags, and it'll be bag one, bag two, bag three. I get some nods from some people out there. And it says open bag one. You look at the instructions and you open bag one. And you spread out the Legos. And then you find the pieces you need step by step. They tell you how to build these things. And then when you have number one built, you open bag number two. And you build that. And then you open bag three. And then it shows you how to, how to take all of your creations that you made from bag one, bag two, and bag three. And put them all together. And it's something that makes sense. And when you have the instructions and the perfect scenario, it's difficult to build those things because sometimes you may put something on the wrong spot or you thought the part was blue and it was really, uh, what's another, I'm a man, what's another word, what's another shade of blue? Aqua, yeah, aqua. And you realize I've made, the, I've made a mistake and you have to go back and take it apart and start all over again. Well, my wife, never really having, having an experience with Legos, opened all of the sets that my children received and poured them all in one bucket and said now they have all kinds of legos to play with and i said what have you done (laughs) what are we going to how can we ever make sense of these sets now you've combined all of them so now we won't play with legos ever and for three years we did not I was overwhelmed by my lego circumstance. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your circumstances? Man I have. Man I have. You think I can't lose weight? I've got an office job. People who have office jobs can't lose weight. Which is entirely not true because I know people who have office jobs who have lost weight, but not this guy. I sit all day, how could I ever lose weight? Some people may say, I can't start that ministry because I had that moral failure 20 years ago. I've seen that happen to people. How can I be a good parent when my parents were so terrible to me? I can't advance in my job without training, and on and on and on. Today, I'm asking you to live as if Your circumstances don't matter because largely they do not. You will not find a single story in scripture where God says, I looked at his circumstances and could not help him. And I just let them languish because their circumstances were too big for me. In fact, you will see the opposite. You'll see the Holy Spirit enabling people and the promises of God, emboldening people to rise above their circumstances and complete mighty works for the Lord that no one would have ever anticipated, amen? You may not be able to control your circumstances, but that's no reason to allow them to control you. I wanna take a look at uh, three folks in scripture today, a little study uh, bringing up our first slide here, you're going to a very familiar story of Joseph. Joseph um, had a pretty good set of circumstances out of the gate. He had a big family and a dad who really loved him. And a dad who loved him so much, he gave him uh, this beautiful coat, right? You remember this story? And his brothers were incredibly jealous and uh, took his coat dipped it in blood and, and threw him in a pit and said, Oh, Father, our, uh, your beloved son has been killed. And they actually sold him to slavery. I don't know about you, but that might put me off for the rest of my life. Just throwing up my hands and saying, oh God, I did nothing. These people treated me terribly, my very own family. You can understand why I couldn't do whatever you would have me do because now I'm in a pit. And when you think it gets better for him, he does remain steadfast. He does remain faithful to the Lord. He receives a promotion and he's working for his boss. And his boss, his wife, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, uh, takes a fancy to him. And that's what you depicted here. <laughs> and he flees that temptation. She grabs a hold of his outer cloak and he runs out of his cloak. What a bad set of circumstances because I don't know how if you're a man, you explain as you're running almost naked away from someone that she started it. knowing the circumstances he already had to endure with his family and his brothers. I can't imagine that kind of betrayal. Now he kind of has this new family with these other people that he's working with, and lo and behold, he does this great job, and he is betrayed. But how does he respond? He remains steadfast, and he remains obedient. As a matter of fact, they give him a nickname. Because everybody around him, they know his heart. They've seen his witness. They see how he responds to Potiphar's wife. And they've seen Potiphar and they go, you know what, we know how Potiphar's wife is. And we know, we've seen Joseph, how he responds. And I'll tell you what, we're going to nickname Joseph, Joseph the Righteous. His reputation went before him. Could you imagine that instead of having a nickname like Stinky Tony or Brocephus, your pals just called you, you, the righteous? I want to be a person that loves God and serves God so much they say, there goes not Sweaty Richard, but Richard the righteous. The enemy would like you to believe that due to something your family did or didn't do, you are stuck where you are. Or because your boss is out to get you, you have reason to retaliate and do a poor job. And the response of the flesh is to hold on to that bitterness and resentment. And then when you hold on to that, your focus becomes what? Getting even. You ever have somebody that just constantly complains at work about somebody else? As if it's, that's their life purpose is to complain about that other person. They wake up in the morning upset about this person. They come to work for eight hours a day and talk about that person. And then they go home to their spouse and they talk about that person again. The enemy has stolen the purpose of their life and replaced it with bitterness to complain about that person. What a waste of a life! You could take that focus of getting even. You could shun that family member. You could shun that uh, co worker. That is an option. It won't do you any good. It will destroy your ministry. It will prolong your own suffering. But it will accomplish nothing. You'll just feel angry and less productive. How does Joseph respond? He responds by, in all things, remaining righteous, gracious, and merciful. He's given a position of power, and his family literally comes back to him asking for help, not recognizing who he is. Had he been like that coworker you have, he would have taken that opportunity to completely embarrass and diminish his family, but he did not. He forgave them. He set them up for success. He blesses his family. Did they deserve it? Of course not. But it didn't matter if they deserved it or not. What mattered was his integrity with God. I want to go now to David. David. Here's a guy who, early on, had a really great set of circumstances. He came from a good family, and unlike Joseph, David's brothers loved and appreciated him. Out of the gate, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He becomes a hero for his people when he slays Goliath at a very young age. And later, he becomes king. However, he makes a decision that soon presents him with some pretty negative circumstances. He sees his friend's wife bathing one night and decides he wants her as his own. So he makes sure that his buddy, Uriah, her husband, is out first on the battlefield, knowing that it's a suicide mission, he's going to get killed. He does that so that he will be killed and he can marry Bathsheba. Which leads me to our next slide. This is Nathan. Nathan has no problem speaking truth to power. And God shares with Nathan what David did. And if you don't have a Nathan in your life, pray that God would send you one. If you're like me or anybody else in here, you've experienced a moral failure at some point in your life. And the enemy will try to ruin your ministry forever because of it. Anytime you feel led by the Spirit to speak to somebody else who's struggling with a sin, the devil will remind you of your sin. And it may completely shut you down. That's the temptation. Another standard reaction when we've been caught in some kind of sin is to lash out at others. And point our fingers and say, well what I did was just as bad as what that person did and you didn't treat them that way. Or what I did was not as bad as what that person did. You ever met someone like that? Then they go on and on and on about the poison of somebody else. Not taking into account their own sin and putting it under the blood and walking away. But to be accusatory to someone else. David's response is a reminder of why he was known as a man after God's own heart. He locked himself away for seven days and he mourned. Over his sin. And he penned what would be Psalm 51. He says this Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice, hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. We don't have a hatred and a disgust for our own sin anymore. I don't know if it's because we have access to social media and everybody can kind of see how everybody else is messing up, and we think, oh, that's not so bad. And we have this acceptance of our sin that eats away at our ability to serve the Lord. But David, he understood his position with God. He understood the ugliness of his sin. He understood the urgency of repentance. He understood the necessity of repentance He also understood, and this is important, that he would not be shielded from the consequences of his sin. And he was not. His consequences came hard, and he did not blame the consequences on God. He soldiered on, understanding that while he was experiencing the consequences of his sin, God's opinion of him had not changed. If you have a nagging moral failure that you have held on to and used to beat yourself up with, today is the day to give that to the Lord. It does you no good to continue carrying it. And when you repent, listen to this. When you repent, God sees you through the lens of his son and loves you. As if you had never sinned, not as if you had never sinned, but as if you had always obeyed, and there is only one response to the circumstance of moral failure, and that is repentance, that the Lord promises will be followed by restoration, but if you hold on to it like a modern-day hair shirt, you will never progress. But what if you've done everything you know to do? You've come from a great family, a loving and godly family, and you find that your circumstances seem more challenging than everyone else around you. It leads us to our next slide. We're halfway through the story here uh, of Job. God himself looked at Job and told Satan, Job's faith cannot be shaken. He will always trust me. And Satan says, what if he loses his family? What if he loses everything he owns? What if he's stricken with boils? And God says, my servant will be faithful. And all of that happens to him. And on top of it, his friends come in and give him really bad counsel. You ever had somebody try to give you some good advice, and it's just terrible? And you're just like, bless your heart, brother. Thank you. Please get out of here. <laughs> you, Thank you for trying to help. He <laughs> gave him very, very poor counsel. What did you do? Even his wife comes up to him and says, Job, what did you do? What did you do to bring this on us? His, his one partner left in the world says, what did you do? And then turns around and says, well, here's your option. Curse God and die. That's, that's about, I've, I've surmised your situation. I've looked at it, and I have decided that the best thing for you to do as you lay there with boils uh, and sackcloth and, ashes, and uh, ashes is to just curse God and die. Have a great day. It's easy to look, because you know the whole story, right? We know what happens with Job. And it's easy to get mad at Job's wife. But we have to remember that uh, she lost her children too. She lost her home. She lost her wealth. And now she's watching her husband suffer. And if I was truly honest with myself, I would say I probably uh, relate more to Job's wife than I do uh, to Job when times are tough. If living faithfully before the Lord means being treated like this, she reasoned, it was just better to die. And also her comments match what Job's three friends later reflect in their speeches to him. But listen to Job's hope-filled response. He says, You were talking like a foolish woman. He then asks Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And God commends his own words and God says this. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job's response was a godly answer to the pain he was facing. You see, God allows both good and evil. And it's a temptation to view bad happenings as God's punishment upon our lives. Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things are going to happen to good people. Good things are going to happen to bad people. Bad things are going to happen to good people. Bad things are going to happen to bad people. In Job's case, the suffering was not the result of God's judgment at all. And Job was later blessed with twice as much as he had before. But Job's tough circumstances brought on by nothing more than a challenge by Satan to his faith. This will happen to you. Out of nowhere, if you live long enough, something bad is going to happen to you. Something very negative, something very sad will happen. It happens to all of us. Some of us feel like it's front-loaded, Some of us feel like it comes in the middle of our life or the end of our life. And for some folks, it's just spread out through their whole life. How do you respond in that? How have you seen people respond to just what seems like unexplainable tragedy? Why a lot of people say, why would a good God allow this to happen to me? A lot of people flat out reject God altogether and say, if God is real, this wouldn't have happened to me. You see, a lot of people lose their faith over these tough circumstances. But it is a reminder that we can be ourselves rooted in our own idolatry. I am not the king of my life. I was not put on this earth to amass as much comfort and wealth as possible before dying. It doesn't say that in scripture. It's not promised to me anywhere. And it would be a complete waste of life if that were my focus. What a terrible life I would lead if if my kids could look back and say, well, he made us as comfortable as he possibly could, and we had some money. That's counterintuitive to our flesh, though, isn't it? If in the end we all die, what did it matter if we were comfortable on our way to dying? What would it matter if we had nicer things on our way to death? I'm here to remind you that it doesn't. Unexpected tragic circumstances are a reminder that every, everyone we know, everything we have belongs to God. It's hard to acquire and easy to be taken away. And through it all, my friends, we mustn't miss the beauty of God that is in every ordinary day. Let Job's response be your response. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I felt like a victim of circumstance when I was growing up. I was raised by a single mother who was still a child herself. We were totally poor. My bedroom was a hallway. I had a bunk bed that had a broken bottom bunk, and I stayed in the top bunk. And when I woke up, I had to make sure I didn't put my head in the ceiling fan. My mom struggled with addiction tragically lost a dear uncle who took me in after I had had a falling out with my dad. We experienced another tragedy that I'm still not ready to talk about publicly. I moved in with my grandparents and my grandma was almost immediately diagnosed with terminal cancer and I had to watch her slowly fade away. And I allowed all of this to be an excuse for me not prospering. I was, I think, a senior at the time. I I made excuses for my bad grades, excuses, used these as excuses for not turning in my homework. And I had God sent a Nathan in my life, a teacher who said, Richard, I know life has always been tough for you. It hasn't seemed fair, but you are a child of God, and it's time for you to start acting like one. That seems like a really harsh thing to say to someone whose heart is hurting. But it is exactly what I needed to hear. He said, don't allow yourself to play victim to your circumstance. Stop embracing your circumstances and embrace the one who can lift you out of them. And that's my message to you today. If we put all of our problems on the table and all sat around a giant table, and we could all see each other's problems, we would fight each other, straight arming to pull our problems back. Your circumstances aren't my circumstance. You would say, Richard, you don't understand where I'm coming from. You are exactly right. I do not understand your circumstances, but here is what I know. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And God adopted me as his child. He filled me with the Holy Spirit and gave me a work to do on this earth in spite of any circumstance. And I'm going to do that work. The same is true with you. So my wife dumped all the Legos in one box. And I remind her, I reminded her every year of how she dumped those Legos in that box. I'd pull out the Legos. Do you want to just throw these away, hon? No, I don't want to throw them away. Legos are expensive. You dumped them all in the same box, put them back under the, <laughs> under the bed. Kids aren't playing with Legos. Wife feels beat up and sad. I'm just angry. Until one time, I got sick of my own sin. <laughs> And I said, you know what, I'm going to face this Lego circumstance. And instead of building towers and walls with these pieces that made no sense, I took all of them and put them all out on the table. I sorted them by color. And I looked at the directions. And I started assembling those Legos. I had told my kids, you know, daddy's got to do this. You know, daddy's got to play with the toys. You might not want to do this. And my little Iva Jane came up and said, daddy, can I please do this with you? Do you want to listen to some music? And we put some music on, and we built those Legos. I would, or Adelia and her mom were gone. We built those Legos that Saturday, and it was one of the most beautiful times I've had with, with that particular daughter. And things started to take shape. And I started to realize how foolish I had been. I complained for three hours, for three years, what would take six hours to restore. Friends, your circumstances are not lost on God. Dare I say that he has even given them to you as a tool in your life. Instead of running from them, I'm asking you today to perhaps embrace them and see what God would have you learn through your circumstances. By finally confronting that Lego mess, God totally redeemed the situation and turned it into something very beautiful. But as long as I put that mess under the bed and blamed everybody else for it, nothing happened. Nothing changed. Friend, you are not a product or a victim of your circumstance. You are an adopted child of the Most High God, created to praise him through all circumstances and equipped to rise above every situation. And yes, today, a preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. I will never understand it. It's not, and it is not fair. Let's acknowledge that. It never will be fair. But there is a God who loves you through it and has something for you to learn. And it will remind you that you are his dear child. band's going to play one more song. Thank you for letting me sweat today. I don't know. I am... Well, you've, you've had the opportunity to clean all the sweat off. I don't know. I would suggest that, submit that perhaps I did sweat a little more than you've been today. I don't know. We'll, the verdict will be out. We'll, we'll check out back. But as they play, if God has moved on your heart, and you would like to just give him his, your circumstances and say, God, yea, though it slays me, I will trust you. And I want to reiterate to you, Lord, that I am your child and I love you. We'll open these altars up to... If you come to my right, your left, nobody will bother you. It's a place for personal prayer. If you want to come to my left, your right, one of our prayer counselors will be happy to meet you and pray with you. Thank you for sweating with me today. God loves you. God bless you.